Welcome to a special presentation of Barely Audible Whisper, honoring the life and legacy of the late great Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. In recent years, even as she fought against constant health problems, Ruth Bader Ginsburg became a pop culture icon, lovingly dubbed the Notorious RBG. Doctor said I need about three weeks of recovery, but the nurses is loving me, saying the best part of the day is my half, feeding me breakfast and giving me a sponge bath. But although she didn't receive the recognition she deserved until her recent comparison to the notorious B.I.G. Now I'm in the limelight cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blowing up like the world trade. Born a sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Ruth Bader Ginsburg's remarkable life, which began with humble roots in the borough of Brooklyn. But if a man tests my style, I promise he won't like my reply. Boom, bye-bye, like Buju, I'm crucial. I'm a Brooklyn boy, I may take some getting used to. Achieved more for the application of equal justice under the law than anyone in American history, with the possible exception of Thurgood Marshall. Ruth Joan Bader was born on March 15, 1933, and we can only assume that she was the only baby ever born whose infant cry was actually a cry for justice. All of the doctors in this hospital are men, and all of the nurses of women? Doctor, come quick! This newborn baby is making coherent observations! This is either remarkable coincidence. That's remarkable! We may have a newborn genius on our hand! Oh, never mind, the baby's female, just a bunch of yap, yap, yap. A result of systemic bias against women. Justice Ginsburg often credited her interest in the law to the influence that witnessing the injustices of McCarthyism at a young age, and admiring the lawyers who fought against the injustices had on her worldview. Are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? My client, Charles Chaplin, wishes to combine his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination with his First Amendment right to free expression by doing a silent, silly, little, cane-twirling, goofy dance-type performance. One day, I'm gonna create the silent, silly, little, cane-twirling, goofy, dance-type performances that will form the legal basis for the equal protection of all silent, silly, little, cane-twirling, goofy, dance-type performances under the law. And she did exactly that. Or almost exactly that, obviously. Her work was based more on sound legal reasoning and meticulously researched judicial precedents than silent, silly, little cane-twirling, goofy dance-type performances. For more on Justice Ginsburg's early career, Barely Out of a Whisper turns to our own Harvard historian. So pretentious, he insists on being called Dr. Professor. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg began her distinguished career at my own Harvard Law School, where she became the first woman to make the prestigious Harvard, Harvard Law Review. 
Excuse me, but I'm right in the middle of... A segment that I'm every bit, if not more qualified to narrate, if not for the patriarchal preconceptions that assume phallic superiority pertaining to the public face of academic performance. If you're implying that my position as the go-to pretentious professor on this program is purely dependent on my penis... Am I not also a doctor and a professor and a predictably pretentious stuffy academic stereotype? Why then, should I not narrate Ruth Bader Ginsburg's heroic overcoming of the patriarchy of academia? Because I'm a recurring character. Your character's reoccurrence is directly related to the reoccurrence of gender bias, which reveals academia's recurrent regressive character that Ruth Bader Ginsburg rejected. Besides, it's your turn to pick up the children from karate practice. Sorry, dear. <laughs> Where was I? Ah, yes. Ruth Bader Ginsburg smashes the academic patriarchy. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. When Ruth Bader Ginsburg first arrived as one of eight women in a freshman Harvard Law class of 500 men, the eight women were instructed by one phallus-wielding professor to stand upon which Professor Phallic Face asked the women to... Defend the fact that you have stolen a seat at the prestigious Harvard Law School that deserves to be filled by a man. To which Mrs. Ginsburg replied... Perhaps if you were secure enough in the size of your own dick, you'd be less threatened by my vagina and more threatened by the fact that my intellect is superior to yours by a factor almost as large as an adequate man's penis is to the apple stem you fail to please your wife with. I'm kidding, of course. Justice Ginsburg is as renowned for her even temperament and calm collective classiness as she is for her legal brilliance. And so, as a woman of action, she lived the reality of the fictionalized wicked burn, which she did not need to speak because she graduated at the top of her law class at Columbia University. Where she transferred from Harvard to support her husband's legal career. Shut up. I'm just saying. Less interrupting, more picking the kids up from karate practice. Sorry, dear. Mm -hmm. But despite having made Harvard Law Review and graduating top of her class from the prestigious Columbia University, no law firm in the entire sexist sea of 1959 America would hire her. Sorry, sexpot. You're a real swell doll. Your resume is almost as keen as your knockers, and your credentials are as far out as your keister. But we're a square joint. We don't hire dame lawyers on account of broads or two cuckoo from being hopped up on hormones. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> this woman challenged me, and now I feel insecure. <laughs> this is why we don't hire broads. You chickenies are too emotional. Unfortunately, discrimination was not the sole designation of the day's most distinguished law firms. 
the most disreputable firms discriminated as well. Were you involved in a car accident with another driver who potentially has money? Did you slip somewhere where you can sue somebody? Let the law offices of Phallic Phallus and No Fallopians turn that vague reason you're home watching television in the middle of the afternoon into this check. Call the law offices of Phallic Phallus and No Fallopians, where no lawsuit is frivolous and no chicks are allowed. I hate to interrupt. Then don't. But it occurs to me that all of the men in this sketch are speaking in exactly the same voice. Hey, I'm trying my best. That's because all of the men are the same. It was a conscious choice. Yeah, I made a conscious choice. But isn't castigating all men by consistently casting men as the consummate sexist villain who sounds suspiciously like Dave discriminatory against the male gender? Why don't you cry about how unfair it is being stereotyped as the oppressor and attribute to a woman whose struggle as the stereotype who couldn't get hired by the oppressor fueled a career-spanning mission to freeing the oppressed from the undue burden of being stereotyped by the oppressor? I call you a pussy, but the connotation of pussy would be better expressed by calling you a testicle. Because women have the strength to endure infinitely more monthly pussy pain than the testicles who keel over like so-called pussies at the slightest brush against their testicles. But of course, the ever-even-tempered Ruth Bader Ginsburg would never speak with such anger against the protestations of reverse discrimination by the weaker sex. Instead, in her brilliance, she used a rare case of sex-based gender discrimination against a man to establish a legal precedent that would later be used to prohibit sex-based discrimination as a matter of law. Indeed, it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg's loving and ever-supportive husband, Martin, who, empathizing with her plight and believing in her abilities, brought to his wife the case of a widowed man being unfairly discriminated against in his efforts to secure the survivor's benefits as a widowed single parent that a woman would receive in an identical situation. Your insistence on emphasizing the critical role of Marty Ginsburg in aiding the career of his wife is almost as transparently single-minded as Mitch McConnell's efforts to pack the courts. In order to fully appreciate the heinous sexism that Ruth Bader Ginsburg committed herself to ending, it is vital to understand how rare it was for a husband to support encourage, and not be threatened by his wife's ambitions. I will not tolerate a woman making more money than me or being more successful than me. My wife stays at home. Oh, poor little fella. I'm smart enough to earn the love of a woman who's smarter than me, and my penis is good enough to please the greatest legal mind of a generation. This better not lead to a more complicated but ultimately more satisfying understanding of masculinity or so help me, I will willfully vote for the destruction of this country. Aw, you mean your point this whole time was to highlight the evolving of gender stereotypes and not just desperately seek out a male hero? I also find it rather beautiful to realize that the personal life of a woman whose professional life was so profoundly significant was equally profound, rich, and fulfilling. 
Moadi was as loving and wonderful a husband as your children are, still waiting to be picked up from karate practice. Sorry, Justice Ginsburg. Oddly enough, one of the major challenges faced by women such as Ruth Bader Ginsburg seeking to change gender discrimination laws was convincing male judges that gender discrimination is actually a real thing. As a woman more than qualified to be hired by the very best law firms who was nevertheless unable to get a job with even the worst law firms because I have a vagina where they think a lawyer's penis should be, you would think it would be self-evident to judges who represent the very top of the very profession that disqualified my qualifications due to the existence of my vagina. That gender discrimination is as real as the clitoris. But then again, most of them don't think that's real either. So, Ruth Bader Ginsburg devised a brilliant strategy to prove the existence of sex discrimination to male judges who couldn't figure out that sex discrimination was real, even though literally every judge was a male judge. It sure is a remarkable coincidence and not at all systemic problem that literally every judge is a man. I know. I was discussing it with my mathematician buddy, who is obviously a man, because completely by coincidence and not by systemic design, there aren't any female mathematicians either. Anyway, he was saying the odds of all the professions in a society being completely dominated by one gender are so infinitesimal that he couldn't calculate a number that small. You don't mean Dick White, do you? How did you know? I've been paying his wife a pittance of a wage to do menial housework while my wife is in the hospital with some sort of undiagnosed mysterious female problem that her coincidentally male doctor can't figure out because women's bodies are gross. Anyway, she was telling me about how she tried to explain the mathematical concept of scientific notation to her mathematician husband while she was ironing his shirts, but it was too confusing so he got frustrated and hit her. Women are so emotional. That's why it's such a lucky coincidence and not at all systemic problem that we don't have to work with any. After decade upon decade of failed gender discrimination lawsuits, how did Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a woman who worked as a law professor because she couldn't get hired as a lawyer, finally convince male judges that gender discrimination was real? By filing a lawsuit on behalf of a man who was actually unfairly treated as a result of gender discrimination. Wait, a man suffered from this gender discrimination thing? I don't like the sound of that. Yeah, that sounds like something that could happen to me. In 1975, a man named Stephen Weisenfeld, whose wife died in childbirth... It was 1975, less than a full generation before the invention of boner pills, and women were still dying in childbirth. But I still had to convince these testicles that gender discrimination was a thing was denied the Social Security Survivor's Benefits, which would have been granted to any woman in his identical circumstances, which he needed to be able to take off from work and raise his son. Son, that's discriminatory against two males. Two entire white men have been hurt by an unfair law. This grave injustice must be stopped immediately. And it was when Ruth Bader Ginsburg won her case in the Supreme Court. 
Thank God that's over with. But it wasn't, because Ruth Bader Ginsburg kept returning to the Supreme Court, meticulously chipping away at the laws that discriminated against women. Don't! She tricked us! <laughs> but she was still pretty sly about the cases she chose. Like an Oklahoma law which made a legal distinction between the legal age in which a men and women could buy beer. I like beer! Ruth Bader Ginsburg applied an understanding of law which went significantly deeper than... I like beer! I opposed an Oklahoma statute that required men to be 21 to purchase beer, but allows women to buy beer at the age of 18. Damn it, Ginsburg, I was just starting to like you. That law not only perpetuated harmful stereotypes against women, but it perpetuated the duplicitous legal theory that treats women differently under the law, and thus was an impediment to the 14th Amendment protection of equal justice. You derived all of that from me buying a beer before a guy? Yes, because I'm that good. It's the same reason I fought against a law that allowed women to be exempt from jury duty. Damn it, Ginsburg. You mean I've got to wait to buy beer and do jury duty because of you? Sure, you have to serve on juries and wait a couple of years to buy beer. But by striking down those discriminatory laws, I paved the way for you to have reproductive freedom, financial independence, the guarantee that you can't get fired for being pregnant, the right to demand equal pay, and equal access to education, employment, and health care. Just to name a few. So the argument comes down to equality, liberty, and the full rights and responsibilities that come with the 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection under law versus... I like beer! In 1980, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed as a federal judge by President Jimmy Carter. I looked around the court system and realized it was made up almost exclusively of white male judges. So I took a major step forward by appointing women and people of color to federal judgeships. But then Ronald Reagan whipped me in the election and everything went to shit. Then in 1993, Ginsburg was appointed to the Supreme Court by President Bill Clinton and was confirmed by a 96-3 Senate vote. I did not have sex with that woman because I put her on the Supreme Court. Early in her tenure on the Supreme Court, Justice Ginsburg authored a landmark opinion guaranteeing women equal access in college admission standards in the now-famous United States v. Virginia case. The case reversed the prestigious Virginia Military Institute's century-old practice of barring women from attendance. At VMI, we only admit the best of the best. Our cadets are the strongest of the strong, the bravest of the brave, and the penisiest of the penises. Sir, yes, sir! Because if we admitted women, our cadets would have to say, Sir, yes, sir, sometimes, and ma'am, yes, ma'am, other times, and that would just get confusing. Sir, yes, ma'am. See? Justice Ginsburg rejected the argument that the school's rigorous standards were too tough for a majority of women to meet as justification for barring women. VMI's rigorous standards are also too tough for a majority of men to meet. That's the whole point of rigorous standards. Fucking dumbass. And so, unable to justify denying women who could meet VMI's standards access to a VMI education, VMI's attorney tried to trick Justice Ginsburg into denying equal rights for women 
with a rationale similar to rationales that then-Attorney Ginsburg had used to trick the Supreme Court into supporting equal rights for women. And it didn't go well. But shouldn't women also have the right to attend all-female schools? How many all-women public colleges are there in Virginia? None. Hmm. So you want to protect an all-male school by supporting the theoretical rights of all-female schools, despite the complete non-existence of all-female schools? Don't! She tricked me with her own trick that I tried to trick her with. Oh. Virginia did attempt to create an all-women's military academy that they claimed was separate but equal to VMI. But as in the case of all separate but equal bullshit, that didn't go well either. At V separate from but equal to MI, we only admit the rest of the rest. Our cadets are the whoeverest of the whoevers, the leftoverest of the leftovers, and the vaginaist of the vaginas. Ma'am, yes ma'am. Because we only admit women, but there aren't enough women who want to attend our faux military academy for us to be picky. As the court's leading advocate in opposition to VMI's discriminatory policy, Justice Ginsburg led a precedent-setting 7-1 decision affirming a women's right to equal access to education. In the majority opinion authored by Justice Ginsburg, she wrote, quote, Neither federal nor state government acts with equal protection when a law or official policy denies to women simply because they are a woman full citizenship, stature, equal opportunity to aspire, achieve, participate in, and contribute to society based on their talents and capacities. Justice Ginsburg was, of course, not the first woman on the Supreme Court, but there was a three-year period where she was the only woman between the retirement of Sandra Day O'Connor and the instatement of Sonia Sotomayor. Meaning she was the only thing standing in the way of a group of men deciding answers to questions like, to what extent is it reasonable for school officials to strip search a teenager? For more on Safford University School District v. Redding, we go to our court correspondent, Amy Kuskurie. The 1985 case, New Jersey v. TLO, established limits on students' Fourth Amendment rights, protecting them from unreasonable search and seizure. In this case, a student was discovered smoking in the bathroom. She lied about it. A school official searched her purse and found evidence that she was dealing drugs. The justices all agreed to some extent that this was reasonable, but in different ways. It is the official opinion of the court that kids are idiot garbage people and do idiot garbage people things because their brains aren't done cooking yet. Therefore, schools should not be subject to the same probable cause standards as law enforcement officers are. Therefore, we are establishing the standard of reasonable suspicion for school settings. I agree with the court that kids are idiot garbage people. And I think that reasonable suspicion is too kind. I agree with the court that a lot of kids are idiot garbage people and shouldn't get the same protections as adults. But we haven't figured out where we draw the line, and I kind of think that may be a problem. That was Justice Brennan, who was right. It became a problem. New Jersey versus TLO paved the way for school officials to search students at will, with no standard prohibiting them from, for example, strip searching a middle school girl because some other middle school girl said she was selling pills. That is what happened to Savannah Redding. 
See if you can tell where the vice principal crosses the line. Yes, Mr. Vice Principal, you wanted to see me? Are these yours? Uh, the day planner and the marker is mine, but not the pills, the knives, or the lighter. I've heard from another student that you've been distributing pills like these. They're lying. I'm going to need to search your bags. Fine, here. Okay, nothing there. I'm going to need to search your locker. Fine. Okay, nothing there. I'm going to need to search your pockets. Fine, but this is getting kind of... Okay, nothing there. I'm going to need to search your body. Don't worry, I'll get a woman to do it. Helen, get in here! Close off, girly. This is humiliating. Pull out your bra and your underwear. I have to look inside. Nope, nothing there but the beginnings of womanhood. 13-year-old Savannah was understandably traumatized by this violation of her privacy, based only on the word of other students, who are at an age known for maliciously lying just to see what happens. And have we mentioned that the pills in question were prescription strength ibuprofen? Dun, dun, dun! So not only was the search unreasonable in terms of the evidence of Redding's wrongdoing, it was also unreasonable in terms of the severity of the crime, as Justice Souter eventually explained in the majority opinion. We find that Miss Redding's Fourth Amendment rights were violated because a strip search causes particular indignity to an adolescent, and the content of the suspicion fails to match the degree of the intrusion. In other words, no more taking children's clothes off because you think they might be hiding prescription strength Advil in their underwear. I mean, duh! The court agreed with this opinion, eight to one. Naturally, the only person who couldn't be convinced that you need a better reason to take a 13-year-old girl's clothes off was Clarence Thomas. But even for the other seven men, it took Ruth Bader Ginsburg's perspective as the only woman on the court to get them there. I'm trying to work out why this is a major thing to say, strip down to your underclothes. Which children do when they change for gym? How bad is this? You might expect such a question from Thomas or Brett Kavanaugh, but this was actually liberal justice Stephen Breyer. Clearly none of you have ever been a 13-year-old girl. Ginsburg was able to share her perspective as a woman to get seven of the men to understand the extent to which this was a humiliating and traumatizing experience. She used this case as a springboard to advocate for getting another woman on the court. Women belong in all places where decisions are being made. Her words impacted President Obama and the Senate Judiciary Committee. And just months later, Sonia Sotomayor was named to the court. A year after that, Elena Kagan followed suit. Thanks to me, even after my death, there are as many women on the Supreme Court as there are now sexual predators. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy may be too large to adequately summarize in words. Only the most pretentious of people would even have the audacity to try. The legacy of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg can most adequately be summarized by... 
Sorry, dear. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. The legacy of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg can be most adequately summarized by the fact that she literally laid the legal framework for her own legal career by winning cases before the Supreme Court that established the legal precedent that she would eventually expound upon as a justice on the Supreme Court. Not so obvious. Not only is the impact of her life's work so thoroughly ingrained into the fabric of American law that every American woman literally benefits from her work on a daily basis without even being consciously aware of her influence. Notorious. But her work in identifying and rooting out gender inequality has equally enriched the lives of every American man in ways their dumb man brains take for granted as well. Who would have ever guessed that sex is actually better when the woman enjoys it? Notorious. Indeed, we all owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to the life of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg whose legacy lives on in the very quality of our everyday lives. Notorious. Well said, dear. I wasn't finished. Sorry, dear. So, I walked all the way home from karate practice. So, let us honor her by remembering her famous quote from her Senate confirmation hearing, which perhaps best encapsulates her own legacy in her own words. Real change. Enduring change. Happens one step at a time. Thank you for listening to Barely Audible Whisper, made possible by the following people. Writer, co-host, and producer Dave Baldwin. Co-host and actress Molly Brown. Writer and actor Daniel Carter-Brown. And actresses Corey Burns and Ali Glonick. You can subscribe to us at our website, barelyaudiblewhisper.com, or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. We appreciate your support. May Ruth Bader Ginsburg rest in peace. Not, not, notorious. She is. She is. I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more men we have on the court, the more problems we see. Hubris.